Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I am so excited to have you here today. I have a great episode, some mental uh, crunch for you, something to really chew on. I have not one, but two excellent guests today. The first is James Evans. He is a multi-award winning creative strategist, and he is the founder and CEO of CARE. That's Companions and Animals for Reform and Equity. Along with him is the one and only Dr. Tiara Price. Those of you who have listened to the podcast for some time will recognize Dr. Price. She is the founder of Black DVM Network. She is a recent graduate veterinarian. She is doing a million things. She is a rising star in our profession and generally an insightful and fascinating person. So I am so, so happy to bring them here together to talk to you a bit about animal welfare, about shelters, about diversity, equity, inclusion, and vet medicine, and how all of those things interact. I learned a lot during this episode. I had a lot to think about. I re- this is one I sat with for a while. This is really good stuff. I can't wait to give it to you, but I'm going to because I want to tell you one quick thing <laughs> before, before I let you loose on this episode. On June the 9th, I am teaching a workshop It is called How to Motivate People Who Don't Want to Be Motivated. It is two hours. It is going to be interactive, which means we're going to be working in groups. We're going to be talking through some strategies. I'm going to be working on archetypes and examples that come from your practices. So I can really sort of show you, get down in the weeds. How do I I reach these people? Like, what do they really care about? What are their innate motivators? What are the team motivators? What are their values? What is is their perspective on? What are their experiences? And and how do I I reach this person in a meaningful way and, 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 and... and engage them because when they're engaged, they're going to be happier. And when they're happier, our team is going to be better and we're going to get better outcomes and better patient care. And our, our work is going to be more rewarding for all of us. So that is what I'm going to be trying to do. How to motivate people who don't want to be motivated. It is from noon to 2 p.m. Eastern time. That is 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific. It is free to uncharted members and $99 to the public. Uh, you should definitely check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can always see what's coming on, uh, what's coming up at Uncharted over at unchartedvet.com. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. Dr. T.R. Price, it's wonderful to have you back. And uh, Mr. James Evans, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. Well, guys, um, I wanted to talk to you guys. I've been I've been thinking a lot about uh, social justice in vet medicine. I've been thinking a lot about equity in vet medicine. Um, I'm a bit concerned about about the price of medicine continuing to rise. And we, we just see that. We see that in human health care, but it's also in, in vet care as well. And the, the costs of, of services are, are going up. And we know that Americans are not making more money than they have in the past. And so I, I'm personally concerned about, uh, about pricing people out of pet ownership and uh, especially people who don't have a lot of material wealth and resources. I, I don't feel feel like those people should not have pets uh, because they can't afford uh, medicine as the prices continue to go up as sort of as they have. And so that's just something that I have wrestled with for years and I, I, I just keep looking at it. And when I learn more about what you guys are doing with uh, with 
with care and um and started to sort of read a little bit about what you guys are getting going and 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 some of the the work that you're doing in our profession i i just i wanted to i wanted to learn more myself and i, I wanted to to bring this conversation to a wider audience so can you guys uh, can you start off by introducing yourselves and kind of how you got involved with this program i'll let you go first dr price <laughs> sure so um i'm dr tier price i am a recent grad it's been almost a year now um, from virginia maryland college of veterinary medicine and i'm also the founder of black dvm network which is how i found out about care uh, this past year um, seeking out organizations that black dvm network could support that had the same um, values that that we believe in as an organization um, and we, you know, had a fundraiser that we wanted to run for Black History Month and thought that CARE would be a great recipient of um, funds that that we could raise from our community. So that's how I got involved with CARE. And I'll definitely let uh, let James speak to what CARE does. Oh, thank you. I, I, I've been involved with, well, first, I guess I should start with my name. My name is James Evans, and I'm the CEO and creative director for CARE, which stands for Companions and Animals for Reform and Equity. And the, the name was really important to us because so often in this humane field, um, somehow people are absent from the nomenclature, um, from the mission. And so that's why it is Companions and Animals, because uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, I don't think you can act humanely without considering um, the person on the other side of the leash. Um, that all said, I, I've been in mass comms for most of my career. Um, I own a, a communications firm and the Humane Society of the United States was one of our first clients um, in the in animal welfare space. This was back in 2008. I started the firm in 2000 and, um, well, sorry, 1999. And 2008, we, we got a large scale spay neuter opportunity from, from, sorry, the Humane Society of the United States. And we, during that work, we realized that there, we were being asked to work in Louisiana and Mississippi and to communicate with the audience there. And it was, it didn't take too much to, to notice that we were working in communities, but HSUS itself had no one inside of the building from those same communities. So we're, we're working with brown and black communities, uh. but no one from the organization um, was brown nor black. And so um, we did very well. And we, we did a lot of um, animal welfare work after that, including for Maddie's fund. And um, we were tapped on the shoulder in January of of 2019 before George Floyd's video went viral uh, by Springpoint Life O'Reilly, uh, Chaitana Merrill from there um, came to us and said, you know, you've been doing all this work in the animal welfare field, always sort of um, looking for opportunities to include people of color. And how would you like an opportunity to start an organization from the ground up that is solely focused on that issue with the intention of saving more companion animals' lives um, that were parts of diverse households. And of course we said yes, because we had been doing that work all along, but sort of um, in the background. 
So that's how CARE got started. Our, our primary mission is to focus on all marginalized communities that often get look, looked over um, in animal welfare. That, in, that includes senior citizens that, that are often, um, there's a lot of ageism in the field when it comes to adoption, um, the unwillingness to adopt to seniors. Um, obviously people of color are high on the list, but also just marginalized communities in, in terms of social economic challenges. Um, the field has, a, has an issue with poverty and has an issue with people who don't have a lot of money. Um, we focus a lot on people of color because that's the house that's burning. Um, but we're really trying to bring marginalized voices to the, to the field um, in general. That's, that's fascinating. I got a lot, a, a lot of questions, uh, questions all at once. Can you talk a little bit about how your background in, in mass communication sort of tied into what you're doing with CARE? Rarely, Andy, does anyone ask me that? And I think it's such an important question and it's, um, it's an insightful question. Um, when, you're, when you're working with mass communications, um, you really have to learn, number one, it's not about you. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's not about what you think. Mm -hmm. It's not a, because ultimately when you're, when you're dealing with the masses, you have to prepare a conversation that um, that the majority of people can understand, translate, feel empathetic towards. Uh, and you have to have action items that correlate with what people can do once they hear the message. And what I noticed immediately um, in animal welfare so often, the conversations that go on ver both in inside of the field, but also um, the field communicating outwardly it's always about the small and not the large. So, and, and one of those major conversations that, that often get distorted is the conversation around um, cruelty and neglect. So, you know, maybe that happens 10% of the time, but animal welfare tends to talk about it 100% of the time. Yeah. And so um, I noticed that immediately in getting uh, into the field that the conversations that should be had, conversations about the exchange of information, um, the big four often don't talk at all about information. How, in other words, how to keep your dog warm in the winter months if you have an outdoor dog. Rather than exchanging information, the big four tend to just point fingers at people who, who have their dogs outside in the cold. And, and, yeah. and so, you know, that's where the mass comms, I think, intellect comes in is uh, noticing that we're often focused on the wrong thing um, and sometimes on purpose just to generate fear, which generates uh, donations, uh, but it often leaves um, marginalized people and poor and black people out of the discussion at all because often animal welfare is not talking about anything that's relative to struggling audiences, in fact, is blaming struggling audiences for the problem um, constantly. Well, I think it's something that happens a lot with people with great intentions. But, you know, shame is not a weapon to get people into our clinics. You know, it, it, it's it's a divider. It, it's, uh, you know, I think we've all been to a place where we were worried about going to the dentist because we haven't been flossing. And we've, you know what I mean? We've been, we've been, uh, you know, Halloween was real good. Uh, 
And you know what I mean? But I, I don't want to be made to feel bad about that or, or have someone point in and go, oh, well, you're not doing these things. And it's even, it's even more so, I think, with pets. But yeah, I, I, I really like the message of sort of meeting people where they are in, in a constructive way as opposed to finger pointing, you know, blaming, calling out negative behaviors without us uh, a, path, a path forward for, for those people. Let's talk, let's talk tactics. Let, let's talk about sort of down in the weeds. Uh, walk me through some of the care programs and um, sort of, sort of a, a day in the life of the program, if you will. <laughs> that's really, that's a great question. Um, so first we, we started out because we're from mass comms, we, we are very um, connected to research, con- consumer research. Um, typically you don't, you don't start a mass communication strategy without first really understanding the audience. And so we started care out, um, with a research project that we did through Harvard project implicit, um, project implicit already has an implicit bias test. That's, that's famous now world famous. But what we asked Harvard to do was to tweak their test just a bit so that it was customized to animal welfare. And we sent that test out. We got um, incredible response. And now we're using that data to show the field what it actually looks like. Um, the field is 84% white. The field is has less than 1% people of color in leadership. Um, and the field self-reports as not having um, a bias towards black people. Um, but in actuality, in the unconscious testing, there we we see an enormous bias towards people of color and and poor people. So one of the one of the first tactics I think we have to do is find a baseline, and that's what we, we're doing with the research. We also have a large longitudinal research study um, about to launch with uh, the University of Tennessee. So ultimately, this conversation around equity and race. Um, we have to first acknowledge that it exists. And I think, unfortunately, in many circles, mm-hmm. we start having these conversations and folks will say, well, that that doesn't happen. We're good people here. And so our immediate um, job that we're doing is, is finding data that proves that this is not anecdotal, that people of color are mm-hmm. missing from the field and are treated differently when they are inside the field. So that's Point number one, um, the other uh, thing that we're doing is is um, uh, training and providing lessons and insights um, from us to animal welfare organizations. And starting in the late summer, we're going to have a care certification, a DEI certification that's sort of linked to um, how much you yourself self-motivated are willing to learn about DEI. So that certification process is going to start soon. And lastly, just to round it out, we're starting our own organizations. We've started uh, four new organizations of color uh, in our pilot city, Atlanta. Um, the fact is, is DEI is, is important, but the reality is, is that on the other side, on the white middle-class side of the world, It's a slow moving process because it involves a lot of power sharing. And we know it's gonna be slow rolling on the industry side. And so while folks are learning and getting up to speed and showing the willingness to understand what DEI is all about, 
we're also creating new organizations of color at the same time. Yeah. So we don't want to, yeah. we don't want it to take a lifetime to make a difference in the field. Definitely. So just, just to uh, explain nomenclature. So EI is equity and inclusion, uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Correct. Yeah. I don't, I'm not familiar. I don't know how, how familiar people are with the term. So I was like, <laughs> just, just lay down a definition at the beginning. No, I think that's smart. I think the equity part is the hard part, right? The diversity part happens um, as a byproduct. You almost, mm. but diversity, we're already a diverse country. We're an incredibly diverse country. The, the problem is, is if that is true, why don't we see that diversity inside of animal welfare? And so the struggle with animal welfare is the inclusion part. What are we doing to be not inclusive? And equity has to do with power sharing. Um, what is equitable? What is just? And trying to find a balance between those two is where the real struggle lays. This this seems like such it's such a big problem. You know, and, and I mean big in, in big in scope, but but just in um it's so intricate and there are so many nuances to it and pieces and parts to it. Do you have a vision for what that type of power sharing and inclusion could look like? I mean, are there are there actionable things that people can be thinking about right now? And then are there are there larger scope or scale uh profession-wide initiatives that we'd be talking about? No, that's a great question and I, I I, I do think it is a big problem, but I don't think it's a complex problem. Okay. Um, I, I, I've said before, we've, we've posted before that uh, DEI um, is essentially um, the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and how you have to ask yourself, how would you treat a group of people that have been historically marginalized? that have essentially no legacy wealth mm. whatsoever. How should that group be treated? How should elderly people be treated? Um, I was taught to treat them with the utmost respect. Um, and so when an elderly person comes to a rescue or a shelter, we shouldn't be asking them questions as if this is their first day on earth. Right? Mm -hmm. These people have mm -hmm. gone through things some of us may never go through, and, and many of them have gone through it three or four times. So, you know, first, I think we have to we have to think about how we want to be treated if we were in the opposite situation. Um, and as far as the equity piece goes, we really want to see animal welfare um, exchange power um, in, in meaningful ways, which starts at the board level. Uh, so often we um, bring people onto the board that are wealthy and that are white um, when really there are plenty of wealthy Hispanic American people. There are cadre of, of well-off, well-to-do, influential African-Americans all over the country, but you, you hardly find them on animal welfare boards. And uh, frankly, you, you, you would be hard pressed to find them on almost any board, but particularly mm -hmm. in animal welfare, um, there is a, an incredible absence of people of color on the board level, on the ED level. And I, I just think it's, it, it makes no sense, except that we're not being intentional about who we include at the table. And then once they're at the table, we're not being intentional about how to make that table feel inclusive to people who, who often aren't invited there. So board level is I think is a great place to start. And I would encourage people to think about their board 
not just in terms of who can help me fundraise, but who can help me problem solve. And once you start thinking about problem solving, often we, we reach out to wealthy people again. Um, there are underserved people that don't have a lot of cash that are just as smart as, as folks that do. Um, but too often in this country, we equate uh, wealth with being smart and we equate poverty with criminality and, and being unintellectual. And so those are things we can do right now is to start hitting the reset button and, and thinking about, is this really how we want to carry on? Is this really the golden rule to think of people without wealth as not smart? And if we don't want to do that, then let's start adding people to our boards that feel more diverse, particularly when we have a mission that requires diversity. So if you want to reach all pets, you have to reach all people. And um, as far as the hiring practices, which uh, I think is the scariest part of sharing power, you know, so often inside of animal welfare, when a job comes up, a job posting comes up, we call a friend that we've worked with before. And because the field is so undiverse, we all we're doing is recirculating the same people constantly. Um, there's a whole cadre of people that used to work for HSUS that are not now working for best friends. Um, and, the, and the question is, why can't we reach beyond our safety zone um, and start looking at mm. seriously qualified people who maybe we haven't worked with before, but are have proven themselves to be talented. Yeah. Oh, so you said a number of things that have really, uh, that I just love. Uh, who can help me problem solve? I think is such a great way to look, to look at this just as far as, you know, we, we know that diversity brings strength, right? We, we know that diverse teams bring diverse perspectives and we know that we make better teams, especially with something like animal welfare, welfare, where we are reaching out to a larger group and people have different backgrounds and like the, the power of diversity is obvious. And so I, I, I love that as, as a way of mental framing. Uh, Dr. Price, can you talk a little bit about uh, the mission of care and sort of how it interfaces with Black DVM Network and what you guys are doing? Yeah. So as you guys have heard, I mean, James is amazing. Care is amazing. And what I really love about care is that they are focusing on inclusion, which is where Black DVM Network sits. Um on the spectrum of DEI, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because we also want to make sure that Black veterinary professionals feel included in this profession, that they're given the same opportunities um, and that they are used to the best of their abilities. And that's exactly what CARE is hoping to do in the animal welfare space. And to that mm -hmm. same token, the parallel is that they want pet owners to also have um, that same equity and inclusion. And Black DVM Networks feels the same way about Black pet owners. We want to make sure that they know that there are people um, in the veterinary medical field that can relate to them, that are looking out for them, that are here for them, um, and understand, you know, the struggles that they might be facing. That Yeah, I love it. That's fantastic. James, uh, how can people learn more about care? Are there ways that that rank and file veterinarians, veterinary technicians, uh, pet owners who are passionate about about this cause can can get involved? Um, absolutely. I, I, I strongly suggest going to our website and um, there's plenty of material there. 
And really, we're, we're less than two years old, but we're making, I think, some incredible progress. Um, and, and, and because of people like Dr. Price, um, you know, Dr. Price reached out to us um, after hearing about us. And we um, together put on a Black History Month um, event focused on raising funds for uh, African-American veterinary students. Uh, we raised $95,000 so far. That's great. Yeah, that's really great. Um, and, and it's because I, I think there's so much to do. But when when you look at the way the country looks and you think there are less than less than three percent of the vets in this country are, are people of color. And that has a domino effect. It has a domino effect on not only microeconomies, um, but it has a domino effect on the animals that live within communities of color because representation matters. And if, yeah. if young children don't see um, a profession being articulated in front of them, they tend not to, one, even think about it, and they, they tend not to invest in it. And so we have so much to do in terms of changing the narrative and changing what's possible and raising scholarship um, money is, I think is a, is a great way to start. Not to mention we're, we're looking at a, you know, in 2021, I believe we're looking at a 20% decrease in, in vets around the country. And I say, what a, what a great opportunity we have right now is to start that pipeline of, of getting the, the kids that are interested through a pipeline of high school and beyond into vet school and then out on the other side. Um, you know, part of the discussion that you started with was the absorbent cost of treatment. And, mm -hmm. and some of that is based on our capitalistic ideals. Um, and so if, if we're limiting the a number of people that are getting into vet school, then the vets that are coming out of the school become more valuable, right? Because you know, it's, a, it's a demand shortage. And I think we have to get past um, our own selves and our own sort of uh, ability to be greedy and think about what the world would look like if more people had access to veterinary skills. That means that at the end of the day, more people are going to end up having and keeping animals longer. And, and the longer they have those animals, the more food, collars, leashes. So this is these are billions of dollars that we could have access to to uplift an enormous amount of communities if we would only sort of spread the intelligence that we have versus sort of keeping it into this tiny little group. So and we really want to think about this pragmatically, um, there is a lot of money on the table. If we can keep, if we can increase the number of people who are willing to adopt and we keep the animals that we have healthy through access to care, that means the Petco's, the PetSmart's, the Walgreens, all of these folks that sell pet food, they should be invested in this struggle because there are billions of dollars on the table as a result. Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense that there would be uh, that there would be there's a lot of groups that benefit from 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 increased pet ownership. Right. Like we we know that people with pets have fewer medical problems. We know that they tend to live longer. You know, we know that they have fewer uh, fewer problems with things like depression. Uh, you know, uh, pets may even offset uh 
push back the the onset of of Alzheimer's. You know, th- things like that. There's there's a, there's 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 so many benefits to people having pets, and I, I think that anything that we can do to facilitate, encourage that, I, I think is wonderful. I love your point about representation. I think that was something that that really resonated with me uh, just a year or so ago when I uh, when I really started thinking thinking a lot about this. Is you know we it's it's hard for us to picture ourselves doing things when we don't see people who look like us doing them. And I just think that that's a, that's a very simple uh, simple way that we can put ourselves out there. I was talking to uh, Dr. Jeff Tinsley uh, a, a while back, and we were sort of talking about what can veterinarians who who want to help with uh, equity and especially with inclusion in, in the vet space do. And that was one of his suggestions is we need to put ourselves out there in, in – schools that serve underrepresented groups and and you can be you can be a white guy like me and still go and for career day and you say this is a veterinarian this is what they do this is 100 percent available to you this is a career that you could have and just try to start putting things into people's minds you know in the in the way that you're able to do it and so i don't know i, I just i've I thought a lot about that since and, and he he convinced me to change my behavior in some ways and so that was um i don't know i i just i think that there's a lot of truth to to what you're saying to the, to let me circle back to this question again. Uh, are there what what is the most beneficial way for people to contribute to what you're doing right now? I mean, obviously, um, we're in the and we're a non for profit, so yep, yep. donations are always welcome. Um, we we are very very focused on creating workforce development opportunities for the folks at our care centers and in, in Atlanta, which means creating. Um, salaries for those folks so that they they can serve their own communities. So just to be clear, the care centers are folks. We want we want those folks to be focused on their own communities. We're not trying to create enormous HSUSs. These mm-hmm. are micro organizations. Um, so donations toward that, and we are still raising money for um, scholarships and things like that. So there's an enormous amount of advocacy um, that we need to do. And we're starting to move into the legislative space as well. We're helping organizations um, with their legislative strategies, uh, mostly to fight um, some of the, I don't know how to call it except, but racist home insurance policies where in one zip code, um, a white family is able to have a pit bull or or a German shepherd, but in an adjacent zip code with people of color, home insurance is often denied. And so every aspect of pet ownership and living with a pet is also framed by the counterweight of you know racism um, and lack of equity in the country. So it's not as though animal welfare is unlike the country. It just serves as an interesting um, sort of minor's canary for the way the country operates. Well, James, thank you for what you're doing. And thanks for uh, that. I I have to go and, and do some reading on this. That was, That is not a thing that I ever thought of or considered. Um, yeah, it's um, thanks for the work that you're doing. And, and thanks for coming on and talking about this. Uh, Dr. Dr. Price, talk, talk, uh, talk to me a little bit. I know uh, I... Black DVM Network does a great job of uh, putting themselves out there on social media. You guys have a fantastic, uh, you know, Instagram and Facebook uh, uh, content program. Um, you tell, tell me about some of the work that you're doing, and then how can uh, veterinarians who want to get involved and support Black DVM Network do so? 
Yeah. So I'll start off by saying that one other way that people can support um, care and their contribution to um, an African-American student, veterinary student scholarship is by purchasing um, a Black DVM Network 2021 calendar. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're already well into this year, but we still have calendars to sell. And so those are available at our um, website, um, www.blackdvmnetwork.com. And uh, Black DVM Network is um, always doing a, a lot of things at once. But for people that <laughs> for people that want to get involved, we have membership uh, levels for 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 everyone. So for Black veterinary professionals, we have two membership tiers, and for um, non-Black or non-veterinary professionals, we have a friends membership, and then for companies, we have um, a corporate friends membership. And membership with us, um, it looks like access to our events, which we host um, at least once a month in regards to financial literacy, entrepreneurship, uh, wellness, medicine, and professional development in the veterinary field. And then we also um, have our newsletter that people can sign up for just to stay up to date with, you know, anything that, that we're doing with other groups, other collaborations. And so we would love to have um, everyone in our community uh, that's willing to contribute and be a part of solving this <laughs> huge problem. I love it. Thank you. Thank you also for being here. James, do you have any final uh, words of wisdom, parting thoughts, anything that you would like to, this is always the hardest part. I put people on the, on the, on the spot right at the end and go, final, final words, parting thoughts, anything you'd like to share? I, my final thought is, is a repeated thought. And that is, um, please don't think of diversity and equity and inclusion as a, as a gift for, um, minorities and other marginalized groups. Um, we should be thinking about what we're missing. There are lots of problems to be solved. Uh, genius, I believe is proportional. There's genius in very, very underserved communities that we are constantly missing and diminishing. And um, Dr. Price and other people of color that I've met during this work, I think are sorely needed in this field to get it to be as rich as what it can be for people and for pets. Thank you, sir. Uh, Tierra, how about you? So, you know, it would really just be to echo what James has said. Um, and that we really need to make sure that DEI is not um, a separate box that we're checking. Um, you know, in addition to all of the other things we're doing, it really should be a full integration into our everyday lives, into our workplace. Um, and we should be thinking about how, like James said earlier, we can step into someone else's shoes and say, how would I want to be treated if that were me? Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. You guys take care. Uh, everybody, thanks for thanks for being here and thanks for tuning in for the podcast. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. And that's our episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. If you did, please do all the things that people uh, ask you to do on podcasts, like share it with your friends and write an honest review wherever you get your podcast and things like that. It really does mean the world to me. I am so happy to have the chance to do these interviews and to share this with you guys. So anyway, take care. Be well. I will talk to you next week. Bye.